Uh, I'm the sidekick. I'm the co-host. I'm Conrad Thompson. You can find me on Twitter at Hey Hey It's Conrad. Of course, check out the show on Twitter at Pritchard Show. But the man of the hour, the man you're all really here to listen to, it's the right-hand man of Vince McMahon for more than two decades. It's at Bruce Pritchard on Twitter. Mr. Pritchard, what's going on, man? How are you? Oh, it's just another day in paradise. Good to be here, man. A hell of a week in wrestling, by God. It really is. Uh, we've got one of my favorite topics of all time coming up on the other side of this next break. It's the ultimate warrior. We're going to cover all things from his WWF run. What happened when he left? What happened when he came back? What happened with the DVD? One of the biggest draws of the 1990s. And we're going to talk about his entire WWF run uh, and all of his WWF runs on the other side of this break. What happened when... You guys strap the rocket to the Ultimate Warrior. We'll be right back. Something to wrestle with with Bruce Pritchard. All right, now it's time for everybody's favorite part of Something to Wrestle With with Bruce Pritchard. It's a little segment we like to call What Happened When? And today, Bruce, I'm excited to ask you, what happened when you guys decided to strap the rocket to the Ultimate Warrior? You know, it's interesting. You say we guys decided to strap the rocket to the ultimate warrior. You know, when the ultimate warrior first came in, he had been wrestling in Dallas. He had broken in, in the uh, Memphis territory, started out in California, went to Memphis and came to mid South and left mid mid South unceremoniously, uh, running from Bill Watts baseball bat one night. But, he had, I, don't, I don't know that story. Smarten me up on that. What's that story? <laughs> well, it was during the time uh, the Blade Runners were there, which was Rock and Sting. And obviously we know what the career of Sting became. And there was a time Bill Watts had come back. It was like the Stampede Again or the Last Stampede Again, some something like that. But Bill had a baseball bat he used to use and a cattle prod and... Last time that we saw a guy by the name of, I think his name was David Strawn. He was Korchenko. And then shortly after that, it was uh, Rock, Blade Runner Rock. It was Jim Helwig. Um, and <laughs> they just had enough of Bill and left the territory and didn't come back. But but Helwig went on to wrestle as a dingo warrior in world-class championship wrestling. And he did okay there. Gary Hart took a liking to him, and Gary helped uh, Helwig along the way. And he, you know, actually experienced some some mid-card status there and and did okay at the time. But Helwig was looking for something else and came up to the WWF at the time. And obviously, Vince was enamored by the physique of the Ultimate Warrior because he was built like a Greek god. He was a huge guy. And I'll tell you a funny story about uh, Warrior. He had come in, he'd done some dark matches and was working what we called C-Towns. And the C-Towns were, you ran an A-Town, which would, for argument's sake, be in New York. You'd run a B-Town, let's say, let's call that maybe uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. And then you ran your C-Towns, which were... Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville, Alabama, things like that. No, Huntsville would probably be a B-Town, but yeah, it could be a C-Town sometimes. But it was your smaller venues. Right. It was... Uh, Five, six, seven, eight thousand seat joints. Yeah, or even smaller than that sometimes. But it was an opportunity to get guys work and at the time we were hot so it's just the wwf brand in and of itself drew but we put warrior on those and he was traveling around 
So a funny story at the very first Survivor Series in Rich, Richmond, Richland, it was in Ohio, it was a suburb of Cleveland, and we're there, it's Thanksgiving Day, and there's a huge catering layout, and we had turkey and sauerkraut, why we had sauerkraut, well I know why we had sauerkraut, because the gentleman that ordered the catering was German, and always had sauerkraut for his Thanksgiving, so we had turkey and all this stuff, but the warrior, Helwig, is going through the line and loading his plate up. I mean, mashed potatoes and dressing and just tons and tons and tons of turkey and sweet potatoes. Had like two or three pieces of pie. And Hulk is watching this and seeing Helwig go through the line and says, well, that big bastard can do it. You know, I can do it. And Hulk, Hulk loads up his plate and... After Hulk finishes, he's all blowed up and stuffed to the gills. And then he finally, he's like, brother, how do you know, how the hell can you eat that much? He says, and then go out and work. He says, oh, I'm not working. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hulk loaded himself up thinking, I can do that. And, uh, yeah, Helwig wasn't working. But anyway, so uh, Helwig came in and, and uh, worked the sea towns. Got a little of experience behind him, and when we were ready to debut him on TV, the dilemma came up as to what the hell do you call him? And Vince didn't know what the hell a dingo warrior was. Right. Um, not sure what a dingo was at the time. What month did he come in? God, uh, I have no idea. Uh, online uh, leads us to believe he came in summer of 87, which would have been right after you got there, Right. Yeah, he did come right after I got okay. there. Yes, as a matter of fact. And um, he came in and, you know, like I said, worked the sea towns. But when it was time to put him on TV, Vince, who had these big production meetings prior to TV, is like, okay, we got this kid coming in, and he wrestled down south as the Dingo Warrior. You guys have all seen him. And they had used the name the Dingo Warrior in the towns when Warrior worked in house shows. But... Vince was like, I need a new name for him. Right. I don't like Dingo Warrior. I don't know what the hell that means. I don't know what the hell that is. Let's come up with a name for him. Was there any thought given at the time that uh, Kerry Von Erich was using the modern day warrior and that the road warriors were on top? I mean, how many warriors do we need? The exact two examples that were brought up in the meeting. And okay. the that was the argument not to use Warrior. Because of well, they got a ding, they got a, a ultimate warrior, and you got the road warriors, and I believe it was Jack Lanza who made the comment that, well, this guy could be a, still be a warrior. He, he could be the ultimate warrior, wow. and Vince liked that, so he was dubbed the ultimate warrior. And I believe Vince's comment was along the lines of, well, if it worked for those guys, then it'll work for this kid, and he'll be the ultimate liar. And he was born. I like it. So uh, not too long after he debuts, um, he starts to get you know lots of jobber matches and is on television, then ultimately makes his debut at WrestleMania four, uh, ending a brief little thing he had with Hercules, uh, obviously really focusing on the body stuff. He does some early stuff with uh, Bobby Heenan and the weasel suit. You were a big fan of Bobby Heenan and a great friend of his. Do you have any memories of Warrior working with Bobby in the weasel suit? <laughs> Bobby hated working with Warrior um, because 
Jim didn't listen, and he was so frenetic, he was so hyped up in all of his matches and everything that he did that he was going so much, he just didn't listen a lot. And Bobby was the kind of guy, Bobby was so easy to work with and, and great at everything that he did. And it was it was just a little tough for Bobby at that time, especially at his age, and work with a young guy that doesn't didn't care. Right. Per se, you know, and well, when you say didn't care, do you mean about people's uh, bodies and oh, what yeah, he did okay. to them, and, and if you hurt them or not? So you're saying he was reckless. He was reckless. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And now, was that based on he didn't care, or he didn't know any better because he was young to the bit to the business? Well, he didn't know any better, but I, I say he didn't care, and and that's me, my thoughts, and folks. Again, th- these are my opinions. These are my memories, and you know how I how I remember things and you often laugh at how do you remember that i remember things on how they affected me right and what impact they had on me so it's it's my memories and my you know my feelings on this and and that's you know what actually happened but i felt that warrior was reckless early on and later on but at that time especially working with bobby he took liberties with Bobby. You know, Bobby's not a, a tough guy, not in the greatest shape at the time. And, it, you know, it was what it was. But it was entertaining, and it was a good boost for the Warrior. Well, the boost would continue. Uh, he actually goes on at the, I think it's the second SummerSlam. Uh, no, maybe the first SummerSlam. He beats the Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental title. And the he greatest does Intercontinental champion of all time, Honky Tonk Man. This is just... Uh, months after the whole ted dibiase thing that we had talked about before um that involved the macho man and you know what may or may not have happened with that intercontinental belt but now we're in the summer summer slam and uh he smashes honky any pushback from honky that you remember on him dropping the belt there no in that way no not okay. at all and and it was it was a quick surprise type deal and, right and uh, warrior was a surprise hit the ring Bing, 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 hit the ropes, big shoulder tackle, press, one, two, three. And he was made. Uh, how big of a part, in your opinion, uh, of the Ultimate Warrior's persona and his success could be attributed to the phenomenal pairing of the Jim Johnston theme song that he had? Oh, God. Uh, I think it was a big of it. Because, again, that frenetic beat, you know, it was, it fit. It fit the mood, it fit the entrance, and they complemented each other very well. No, I agree. I thought that uh, it was perfect for him, and uh, he had a lot of success. He goes on to uh, get into a little bit of a feud with Rick Rude. Uh, They do a series of pose-down things that ultimately results in a scuffle. Uh, WrestleMania Five is here. Uh, Bobby holds his foot. Uh, Rude gets the pin. They flip the title at SummerSlam. And then that leads to a series of matches with Andre the Giant, uh, which Andre at that point was really a special attraction, working just main events and stuff like that. So I imagine on the house shows, Warrior Andre was the top build thing. Would that be fair to say in 89? Yeah, it was. But I'll give you another little piece that's kind of funny for you historians. If you want to go back and if you have the original footage, I have no idea if it is edited on the wwe network or not but you go back to the first royal rumble that was on pay-per-view it was in the summit in houston texas and there was a pose down that you referred to with rick rude and the ultimate warrior 
And the pose down would culminate at the end with Rick Rude spraying Ultimate Warrior in the face. With tanning oil? With, with baby oil. Right. And Warrior is so hyped up and so into it and has his eyes closed and is posing. And Rude is spraying him in the oil, which Warrior's supposed to react to. But it takes forever. Ruth finally just nails him because Warrior just doesn't react to it. He's so hyped up and so into the moment that he's, he you know, forgets he forgets the sell. Yeah, yeah, he forgets what what the deal is. But but then moving forward, they, they do their thing at WrestleMania. We moved on to Andre. And the idea at that time was Andre the Giant being one of the biggest figuratively and literally stars in the entire world, it was, you know, let's give Warrior a rub and get him into a program with Andre. And Andre was willing to put him over every night and make the guy. So in hindsight, being 2020, it wasn't the best idea the way that uh, it went about it <laughs> because the matches lasted about 30 seconds. It was kind of reminiscent of the honky-tonk man where andre would be in the ring warrior would come out with his entrance ropes give andre a big tackle and a big splash one two three and go around the ring with his music and be gone if you blinked you missed it now was that uh i guess two-part question here is that based on warrior's limited entering ability or is it also taken into effect or into account the limited mobility of Andre the Giant at the time. It, not necessarily Andre's limited mobility at the time. The The idea, frankly, was neither. It was, what if, you know, this guy comes in, you're facing the largest athlete in the world and Andre the Giant, you beat him in 30 seconds. It was a way to shock people and the idea was to really get Warrior over. Right. What happened was, is we really pissed audiences off because we put it on in the middle of the, of the cards so that we could come back later on before the last match of the night and announce, and next time, right here, it will be the return as Andre the Giant will face the ultimate warrior, you know, and that was the idea behind it. It was a way to get Warrior over. Um, Andre didn't have to do a whole lot. And you get the return. It was kind of a freebie, per se. But it, in my opinion, it shit the bed. Did uh, Andre enjoy working with Warrior, or did he hate it, too? <laughs> it, that, the 30-second matches, Andre He's, loved. Okay, so that begs itself to the follow-up question. The longer matches, because they probably didn't have exclusively 30-second matches, he wasn't a fan of? No, Andre just didn't, um, you know, Warrior was going 20 miles an hour or 55 million miles an hour, not 20. And Andre had a much slower pace, believe right. it or not. But... As big as Andre was, as strong as Andre was, as mean as Andre could be, if he liked you and he wanted to work, he could work with just about anybody. And Andre would try to get Warrior to slow down. 
He would try to get him to relax in the ring. And when Warrior would keep going a mile a minute and keep hitting Andre with everything he had, Andre had a way of dealing with it. And there's actually video footage of it. If you go back and you look at some of those return matches, and I want to say it's it's on the destruction of the Ultimate Warrior tape. I, I, I don't know because I never watched it. But Andre, Warrior hits the ropes, and he's coming off a mile a minute, and Andre just sticks his fist straight out and punches Warrior right smack in the middle of the face and the nose. Bobby Heenan tells the story. He's at ringside, and he does this, and Warrior's legs just go rubbery. But to Warrior's credit, he never went down. And Bobby said, he goes, oh, you could see the, you know, the, the, the face paint crack on the Ultimate Warrior. Right. But, uh, you know, and then from there, Warrior would hit, and, and you can see... There's video that exists, and I wish I could tell you exactly where the hell it is to see it, but Warriors jumping over Andre, and Andre's reaching up and punching him in the nuts and kicking him, and he could be an angry giant sometimes to work with. But after that, Warrior learned to slow down and to take it a little bit easier with the boss in the ring. Well, let's talk about that. Um, When we're talking about taking it easy, it seems like this was probably easy booking to put a guy who has this much fanfare behind him. Uh, obviously a fan favorite, very popular. Uh, I'm sure you guys were measuring, you know, all of your merchandise metrics and stuff like that to see that, Hey, this is the guy. Do you remember the conversation, uh, that you had with Vince where there's some sort of discussion about the first time that you recall? I mean, Hey, we're going to have warrior you know, be Hogan. I don't really recall it. You know, it, it's probably discussions that we all had over, over a period of time as to, you know, you got this guy coming up in, in warrior and his popularity was, was great. But, um, you know, I don't remember any one specific, but the, and, and there were mixed feelings, really, with the the title change from Hogan to Warrior, because there were guys, experienced guys, um, you know, Ted DiBiase, you know, Savage, a lot of the agents that felt that Warrior wasn't right mentally to be the champion at the time. No, no, I want you to expand on that. What do you mean? Attitude. Maybe mentally is not the right, but attitude wise. He was rough around the edges. He didn't have a love for the business, which old timers, and I'm going to include myself in that. You know, we we would always feel, by God, you know, you got to love the business. You got to appreciate it. You got to pay your dues. You got to do this. You got to do that. And Warrior hadn't done a lot of that. Right. And he skyrocketed to the top on physique, charisma, and intensity and warrior had all that he had an incredible physique he had incredible intensity and he had just naturally oozed with charisma so he had those tools he had a shitty attitude but a lot of guys have shitty attitudes so that what may what give me an example of him having a shitty attitude um i don't know just in regards to uh, you know, he thought he was better than people. He thought that the wrestling was He gave was that stupid. impression. Okay. He, he so he just rubbed people the wrong way. Correct. Okay. Yeah. 
So a shitty attitude was based on him not growing up as a wrestling fan and him thinking this is a business. I'm not a mark. I'm better than this. Yes. That, okay. was, that was the feeling okay. that, that people got from him. And that was the perception amongst the lawyer. boys. And of course, perception becomes reality. Right. So, you know, we, we got there and Hulk was, I believe, going away to do a movie. That's what I wanted to talk about. My question, I guess what I was trying to drive at is. Did you really have a situation where we have to make this guy go over Hogan? Like it's, it's time for someone to be Hogan and we want it to be this guy or is the situation really, Hey man, Hogan's leaving and we got to have somebody in that spot. So it's not that Hogan's run is done necessarily. He's just going to do other stuff. We need to stand in to kind of keep the train on the tracks. It's a little bit of both. And I think that it was also in a lot of respects from Vince's point of view that he was looking for the next Hogan. Hulk was getting older, and the idea of, you know, maybe his Hulkamania run its course, that wasn't as much of an issue, but it was, we need something new. We need something else. So here you got this this younger, younger guy that is coming on. He's popular. He's, he's getting over, and maybe it's time. And... Combine that with Hulk, you know, had some other stuff, other opportunities outside of the business. Give that character a rest right. a little bit and move on. So you guys decided, take a stab at when you decided. That's I don't the know. That, that was... They touched at Royal Rumble and kind of looked at each other and then looked around at the crowd and the crowd goes nuts. So you at least knew by January. Oh, yeah. We knew it's Survivor Series. Most uh, likely. Okay. And he was su- yeah. sole survivor that year, I think. Uh, for his team. Yeah. And um, so, obviously, you know, you're trying to, you know, he's beat all these men by himself. You're trying to really shine him up. A couple months later, the Royal Rumble, they touch, they look at each other. Uh, the electricity's in the air. So, uh, any hesitation from Hogan about dropping the belt? Not that I ever knew, no. Uh, Hulk was from. From my side and what I know and what I was involved with at that time, there was never any hesitation from Hulk at all. It was, it was all, let's go get this guy over. I'm going to do everything I can and let him run with the ball for a little while, see how he does. Well, I think in the back of Hulk's mind, it was probably like, okay, get him the ball. We'll see what he does. And I think that ego on his side probably is that he could do better. So well, you're supposed to feel that way in the wrestling business. Yeah. yeah. So, um, on the DVD that you say you didn't watch that we we have to address at some point, uh, the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior that WWE put out and there were lawsuits and blah, blah, blah. Hogan said something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing because it has been a while since I've seen it. He knew that this was not the guy to drop the belt to. And you're saying, you don't believe that that was the case or he didn't express that to you then. Do you think that's Hulk just trying to make that narrative work for the DVD or, or do you think, I don't know that there was necessarily, you got to understand that you say the narrative for the DVD, the DVD kind of came out of a trying to do a DVD on warrior wanted warriors involvement in it and wanted him to participate and be a part of it. And he didn't do it as 
interviews and as feedback was coming in and, and they were doing all of these interviews with people, they're looking at it going, wow, um, there's not a lot of positive stuff to work off of. Well, hang on now. And, are, are but you... it was now, I, I'm, no, I'm, I know what you're going to say. And it's, it was never, hey, let's go out and bury the ultimate warrior. It was, let's go do this video. But you know what? Is they're getting all of these bites and interviewing people, there was so much negativity, if you will, that it became, it, it became that. And it went in that direction. And so there was eventually coaching on... Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen what to say no or, or not necessarily what to say but i mean here's the thing if i don't know look i i can tell you you from, produced some of those segments no, I didn't. did you not no i didn't okay i was interviewed for it and no and one coached it, me on what to say i was asked uh, we were interviewed and, and, but but you had never done an interview before where you sit down and you just shit on someone sure it, i had for it may not have aired yeah without a doubt they shoot that stuff for hours sometimes asking guys questions and they pick and choose what they want to air in my head. If I was, if I was told we're doing a disc on the ultimate warrior, I would tend to think we're trying to put him over. They were trying to put him over. Golly, it's difficult talking. No, but you got to understand the original concept was to do a disc on ultimate warrior and and then have him participate in it. Yeah. But then when you sit down and you get 20 different people and they're asked questions and you listen to it and 90% of it is, oh, I, you know, well, really he was a jerk and really he was this, really he was that. And, well, I never thought that would work. There, there becomes a tone to it. And when the producers and everybody looks at it and they go, hey, this is what we've gotten here. At some point along the line, and I didn't have any input one way or the other on that, so I can't tell you that, by God, let's go bury the Ultimate Warrior at that point. It was just feedback from producers and people that were putting the DVD together that came back and said, hey, this is this is what we got. We don't have a whole lot here to, to go, woohoo, Ultimate Warrior, you know, what a great guy. And so it became, well, maybe that was... A, so the destruction be- of his, and, and, and be- let's go another route. And it became a hit job, and you know, Photoshop posters and all kinds of other stuff to make him look embarrassing. What Photoshop posters? Did I'll you? show you later. Anyway, let's move on. We're talking about when you were trying to be positive for a minute, which is I know difficult for you in your old age. Talk me, talk to me about the night of the match, uh, what the expectations for the match were, uh, all that jazz. Supposedly. Uh, Warrior tells in his DVD that uh, the production people wanted him to ride the cart to the ring. He was not having that. Uh, of course, he ran to the ring. It's That's a... not true. Okay. That's not true. The only two people who were walking to the ring that night were Hogan and Warrior. Okay. 
That was six in Toronto, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. I, 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 again, I did the run sheet, so, I mean. Okay. That was early on. I, I don't remember. I, I can never remember anybody saying, I want Warrior to to ride the cart. That may be his story he wants to tell or wanted to tell. Um, but. What about the match itself? Who put the match together? Who would Pat Patterson. Uh, Pat has a story where he goes to find him afterwards. Do you know that story? I don't. Supposedly, uh, they couldn't find a warrior right after the match. They needed to do, I don't know, photos or something. Uh, and he had hidden himself in a little closet somewhere and was overcome with emotion that he had won the belt and didn't want anybody to see that. And I found that interesting because everybody seems to think that he was not a wrestling fan, but for him to be really that moved to be in that spot, it lends itself to another side of him. I think. Okay. All right. What'd you think of the match? I, I thought the match was great. Is that the, one of the better matches you've seen Hulk or warrior have? Yes. What? Yes. I thought it was very well put together. I thought that they executed it well. Um, and it told a great story. Did Hogan have a favorite referee to work with back in the day? Um, probably, uh, Earl Hebner. Yeah. And Dave Hebner. Yeah. Okay. That's who was in this one too. Yeah. Um, what, what do you attribute that match quality to? Because it is a little bit of an anomaly. Those guys would work later in WCW and it was, uh, I think the wrestling term is the drizzling shits. Uh, how do you separate that? What made that one different? What made that one better? Pat Patterson in preparation. The fact that, that all three of those guys were able to get together ahead of time and, and prepare for it and calm everybody down and, and lay it out ahead of time, not per se step by step, but, but be able to discuss the psychology of things and tell the story throughout. And I thought that the story was told beautifully. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, it's one of my favorite WrestleManias, uh, as a little kid, it was phenomenal. And one of the things that made it so great were the promos leading up to it. Um, what type of notes would be given to warrior on a promo? You know, back in the day, we often hear that there was bullet points, but when you watch his promos, it doesn't even feel like there are bullet points. Is it just turn the camera on and let's go? Absolutely none. So we're, how many, we're four weeks out. We're three weeks out. We're two weeks out. It's this Sunday. And so you give him a set amount of time or you just let him yes. go that to uh, it depends. It depends if he was doing it for the, it depends on what the environment was and what that specific promo was for. What, what, but uh, like, I need two minutes, give me two minutes and you know, was that the standard? Would you say two minutes? No. What was a standard length for it a promo? Wasn't a standard length. I mean, for interview segments, she had exact times, but for, promos like that it it depended it depended upon where it was in the show what it was about and what, what how much time you needed so when you were producing those how many takes would warrior normally do before you were happy and he was happy one he was one take with it a lot of times yeah okay because huh. nobody understood what the hell he was saying anyways Golly, man difficult now right. why am i difficult no they were intriguing they were intriguing promos that fit his character um you know it was different um, did you correlate his warrior gimmick to being an Indian at all? What? Well, a lot of people, um, say that the ultimate warrior 
was essentially an Indian gimmick because of the fringe, <laughs> because of the face paint. Never. Because I, of the I, way he would talk about to the heavens and he would look above and talk to his hands. And well, That's the first time I heard that one. But Well, the first person I heard say it was an old interview where Chief J. Strongbow referred to him as the Indian. <laughs> and okay. it was, it was uh, disparaging. In the, in the way he said it, he said it a little more colorful than that. Yeah, because Joe Scarpa, the Italian man who played the Indian on TV, knows. Yeah, okay, so go ahead. No, that's it. Okay. Uh, I just, no, I never heard that. I just reference. never really thought about that, uh, and I wasn't sure if there was any sort of. There may have been, uh, but I, I never heard that. Never I, dawned on you. I never looked okay. at it that way. All right, so let's talk about it now. We're done with WrestleMania six. Uh, we've touched on it in a previous podcast. Hogan uh, takes the warrior of the belt, uh, even after the ref tries to. Hogan corrects that, takes him the belt, rides off in the cart. Big moment, big fireworks display. He's the man now. Uh, you guys go back to programming him with Rude, from what I remember, and they work at SummerSlam that year uh, in 1990. Is that am I, am I remembering that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, what was um, what did rude think about working with warrior it feels like rude would have been prime for a top spot for a title run in this time but that decision is not made well you know come on i mean a lot of guys can be prime for title runs because you like him well he should be champion or he's but i am not a big fan of flip-flopping titles all over the place and i liked longevity in champions so Again, everybody can be a t- contender, and, and if you have a point where you have a lot of top guys, that's great. But I don't know that Rick was ever discussed being the champion, Rick Rude. But Rick was a great guy, a great character, uh, in and out of the ring, to program the Warrior with. They had history from earlier. Intercontinental. When they, yep, when Warrior first came in. And Rude had been gone. For a while, at this point as well. Why and was Rude going there? I was just taking a break. So now, uh, I, I guess the reason I said that about Rude working with Warrior is, I think in various interviews over the years before he passed away, he attributed him wanting to go to WCW to not getting a title shot when he was in that position, being quote unquote forced to work with Warrior, which would have been on top. So I don't know why you'd be upset about that, and then having to put him over. But you don't have any recollection of Rude necessarily having an issue with that? No. And I did all the vignettes with Rick leading up to it, um, well ahead of, you know, Warrior even winning the title. We had already done the training vignettes and all that stuff for Rick, and, and Rick was prepared and excited. And I thought Rick did a great job. There were times there were times of frustration with Rick during the program just because Rick was put in that position to help warrior right and teach him you know more and grow more and there might have been a perceived resistance you know on on rick's part towards warrior so let's talk about um you know when we're talking about the ultimate warrior here one of the things that i think about is that SummerSlam match uh with rude in the big blue cage and i don't know why but that match is one of the big blue cage matches that really stick out to me uh, that's not the typical wrestling cage for, uh, and, and they were using that before you got there, I think with King Kong Bundy and stuff like that. 
what was your thoughts on the big blue cage and kind of share the psychology behind what made it or what made that the right call for a cage for WWF? Well, okay. I'm going to be negative again here, Conrad. I hated the big blue cage. It, uh, I thought it was ugly. I thought that it was very difficult, made it very difficult for talent to work with. It was unforgiving as hell. The concept behind the big blue cage, and before that it was black or steel or whatever the hell it was, um, was for Bruno and the Sheik. So they could climb over it. And the concept to me, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Texas. A cage match was a blow off. Right. A cage match is when you had had every other match that there was to have. This is the and final, the final match is inside of a cage. Nobody in, nobody out. We're going to settle this thing. And only one guy's walking out of the cage. And that's what you did. You had a blow off. You had a definitive final and that was usually in a cage. When it got to that point, by God, you knew you were getting a winner and you knew you were getting a loser. In the Northeast, they had this rule of the winner of a cage match is the first man to escape. Well, to me, that's counterproductive to why you want a cage. You want a cage to keep people in and keep people out, not to get out of. Right. Is a heel you would want to get out of the cage, but as a baby face, you would want to keep the guy in there and punish him and beat the hell out of him until you have a definitive winner. So psychology wise, I never understood the escape thing with the cage, but the original, um, as I've asked a question way long time ago, same question you asked is I don't get, you know, I don't get it. Why do that? was uh, Bruno and the original Sheik. Uh, it was easier for them to climb and to get out of, and you didn't have to have a finish. So let's fast forward. Uh, we finished SummerSlam. Uh, he does some cool stuff uh, with um, all the Warriors at um, Survivor Series. He's got the Road Warriors. He's got Kerry Von Erich, the Modern Day Warriors. So it's all warriored out. Fast forward on into the Royal Rumble, and it looks like uh, the winds of change are here. He's in uh, a match against Sergeant Slaughter. The Macho Man interferes, cracks a scepter over him, which looked like a really stiff shot as a child. Uh, totally believable. Uh, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. It was fantastic. And now it looks like we're going to be doing something different for WrestleMania 7. Uh, so why is the decision made here going from 6 into 7? Hey, let's get the belt off a of warrior. Well, the idea was Sergeant Slaughter coming in as a heel, first of all going going backwards to the summer was sarge returning and sergeant slaughter being this uh former american patriot to now he's going to be this big anti-iraqi embracing heel and it caught on i mean it was it was hot and as we we got into it and we were at odds with the country of iraq is the united states and tensions were very heated, and it was something that wrestling's always done. You know, you have the foreign villain, and you have the red, white, and blue hero. Right. So it was it was just a natural progression, and, you know, Hulk was back, and Hulk was the, by God, real American, and it was time to, well, let, what would be 
the ultimate WrestleMania at that point. And, you know, I know I've told the story on the Flair show about Tugboat, uh, Chic Tugboat. And. Well, let's go ahead and catch everybody up because not everybody who listens to your show listens to Ric Flair's. Um, the original idea for WrestleMania 7 in the Los Angeles Coliseum, 107,000 people. Vince McMahon's idea. <laughs> Doesn't matter whose idea it was. Okay. <clears throat> yes. Was uh, we had. What the hell? Let's was put this? this in context. So. She got on our Casey. Er- Earthquake had squashed Hulk Hogan. You guys did a letter writing campaign asking for little bracelets, save Hulk Hogan. Tugboat is his friend on TV, giving Correct. everybody updates on Hogan. Correct. He's really off Hulk Hogan's movie, best but, friend, by yes. God. We're trying to portray him as this big baby face guy. And the idea was for Tugboat to turn on Hogan and to embrace Sheik Casey. And, uh, so he would be the Iraqi sympathizer. So, and he would go in with the turban as Sheik Tugboat and and go against Hulk because he was this big guy and it was a big, big size and stature villain and, and a former friend of Hulk's to get us to that point. Um, Sarge came in and Sarge, man, God, they hated him. He was red hot as a heel. And this is before we went to war, man. Cause I remember we declared war on the night of Royal rumble while we were in the event. George Bush comes on and says, we have declared war on Iraq. And it's like, oh, God. You know, all of a sudden, this great entertainment came became real rivalry. You know, it was real before, but now it's. That's a thing. Oh, my God. We're going to be sending kids to war. Yeah. Um. So the, the, the winds of change, it wasn't like there was a change. There was a plan. Um, and the plan always was to go to Hulk and Tugboat and then Hulk and, and Slaughter. So it was time to, to move on and transition uh, Savage into Warrior. Randy was ready for a break. And what better way the, than to you know do a retirement match and, again kind of give another nod to to the ultimate warrior by beating randy savage and retiring him so let's talk about that um you guys are trying now to come up with uh you know something for warrior since he's not in the title picture and it was a big deal you know for wrestlemania 6 to go off the air and he's got both the intercontinental and the world title he's just toppled hulk hogan huge main event first one international uh, i know it's in canada but still that counts so now we're at seven and he loses the belt just a couple months before. So how does the idea come up? We're going to give him Savage and we're going to make it a retirement match. How does, what's the plan or the thinking or whose idea was that? I, I really don't remember. I mean, I was in production at the time and, and that was, you know, a lot Pat and Vince, but it was, it was simply a, a transition of what do we do with all these guys? And again, you know, you're, you're matching up your top guys, got Hulk with Sarge and then, you know, who's next? It's Warrior. And Warrior and Savage, it's just one of those deals. You're looking at a roster, and what do you do with these guys? And it was a very natural, easy-to-buy progression and program. So it was, it was Randy. But the retirement angle, help me with that. The retirement angle was as simple as Randy, 
you know, wanting some time off and Randy wanting to get away for a little bit. So and Randy comes to you guys and says, I, need I don't some know how time that off. happened. Yeah, I have no idea, but I know Randy, I don't know who he talked to, what he said, other than Randy was looking for some time away from the business for a little bit. He had been going, going, going for so many years nonstop. So it wasn't something he had to be talked into. He was all about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and was he comfortable working with the warrior? Cause that really was a really good match, yes. you know, and I feel like, uh, people like to bag on the ultimate warrior present company included. Uh, but WrestleMania six was a really good match for him. WrestleMania seven was an even better match with him with macho man. I agree. I agree. Randy had no problem working with warrior. Big feel good moment at the end of WrestleMania seven in their match. Uh, miss Elizabeth comes in from the crowd reunites with Randy. Was that a way to try to set up? Did you already know we were going to do the wedding angle at SummerSlam at that point? Or was it just, hey, if he's going to take time off, let's let him come back as a baby face. Let's give him a reason to do that. Yeah, it was essentially to reunite them. It was tough on them during that time in public because Randy took everything so seriously. And and Randy lived the gimmick to the hilt. So it, it was a way for them to get back together. They could live their lives and... Do you think and you guys knew the wrestle, the SummerSlam wedding angle at that point? Did you already have that in mind? I don't, I, you know, I don't really remember. I know that, uh, the proposal and the wedding and all that happening. Yes, we, we knew that, but everything else kind of just grew organically. So after this, uh, warrior starts feuding with the undertaker. And Jake Roberts offers to show the undertaker, the dark side. And there's a famous thing you guys shot that I want to get your take on. I did. I was gone by then. Okay. So you weren't there for the room of snakes. No. Okay. No. Have you seen it? I have. A warrior kicks the shit out of some snakes. Yes. Any chance that makes air today? With no, never in a million years. I mean, that, that really doesn't age well. You see it. You're like, Whoa, yeah. I didn't expect to see that. Yeah. That was during a time that they had some, uh, some liberties, some Hollywood producers and stuff. And it was, it was very unique for the time sure. and the way that it was shot and cut and yeah. so on and so forth. And, um, I didn't care for it f- from the way it was shot. I didn't care for the cartoonish over the top B movie. Yeah. yeah. But I do remember the kicking, kicking, the, the, snakes. kicking the snakes and going, Oh my God. Um, a little snug and no, that wouldn't air today. What about, uh, so you weren't there for the undertaker in the casket thing. I, the initial burial with warrior where they put him in the casket and clawed him out. Yes, I sure was. I was there that night. Talk yeah. us through that. Uh, if you haven't seen that, it's worth going out of your way to see. Uh, I think it's the funeral parlor. It was the funeral parlor with and undertaker in the, uh, undertaker attacks him, yep. locks him in the deal. Right. Uh, people are trying to get him out. He's frantic yeah. and he's about to die and maybe he has brain damage. I mean, they were really selling. Sure. Uh, talk me through your memories of that. Oh God, that was great. Um, I remember going to get the casket and we took road warrior Hawk with us because he was about the same size as warrior to lay down in the casket to make sure that warrior would fit and everything. And, there's what a, city did you go source this casket in wherever the hell that tv was you don't remember i don't i okay. have no idea okay um, but paul bear had set it up because paul's a, in real life was a mortician is that he the, knew everybody is that the weirdest thing you ever had to buy oh uh, no but anyway <laughs> yeah one of but the weird thing was was we all of course have to get into the casket and 
I don't know if you've ever been in a casket before. No, well, I, they I look, haven't. They look pretty damn comfortable, don't but, they? But, but there's no foundation. They are the most uncomfortable thing in the world. And obviously, you know, they don't have to be comfortable because what's going in them is not going to feel anything. The ultimate warrior? That too. Okay. Um, but uh, no, I remember everybody getting in the casket. And there's a, there's a, a picture of Vince in the casket. I've got a picture in the casket, and it was um, it was interesting. But it was to me that was a great great angle. Warrior clawing at the the emblem inside and trying to claw his way out. Oh my God, he's trying to claw his way out. Look at that. Look at that. You know, and it was. It was great. I thought that was one of the one of the best angles ever. So fast forward now. Um, we're going to go ahead and get to WrestleMania eight. And uh, I don't think you were there at the time, but Warrior had taken a sabbatical. Well, let me ask this: You weren't there for SummerSlam that year, Madison Square Garden, to hold it up for money, were you? I was there, but I wasn't working. <laughs> okay, all right. So you know, you had friends. I mean, you're obviously friends with all these guys. What was the talk of the SummerSlam situation from your perspective? And then we'll get to WrestleMania eight. Just that, you know, what same thing you've read pretty much everywhere about it. Um, he held Vince up for money. He held, Warrior held Vince up for money. And Vince is the kind of guy that. Get the match get in the, the ring. Get the match in the ring. And he agreed to everything. And to get Warrior in the ring. And paid Warrior everything that he agreed to. And fired him right after. Okay. So they're at an impasse over money. He goes home. Um, WrestleMania eight happens, right? Is this right around the same time as all the steroid stuff or has that not yet hit? I believe steroid stuff had hit. Yeah. Was warrior. Um, warrior comes back noticeably smaller. Uh, the internet doesn't exist at the time, but there's lots of talk amongst wrestling fans that the first ultimate warrior died. And that this is the replacement Ultimate Warrior. Clearly, it's not. Uh, but he does wear his paint and his hair uh, a little different. And he does, you know, look a lot smaller. Look like Warrior's little brother. So he's brought back here, though, um, as a surprise. And really in the main event spot, uh, rescuing his old friend Hulk Hogan. Do you know what the plan was? I don't. I wasn't there at the time. Um, I believe that the plan was to do... The Ultimate Warrior, well, which is what they did, Ultimate Warrior and Papa Shango. Right. But uh, I wasn't there for the initial stuff. I, I came back in September of that year. So you came back in September of that year, and then Warrior leaves again in November. <laughs> yeah. So you guys keep in and out here uh, with almost with each other. It's like y'all were making the hot tags of almost, employment. Yeah. So catch me up. September rolls in. You're here. Now it's November. And he's out again. What happened in November? Well, there were issues um, that took place that I'm not at liberty to discuss. But um, what does that mean? There were legal issues that, that took place with Warrior, and and uh, he left. They had he and Vince had a disagreement, and uh, have anything to do with drugs? Not at liberty to discuss that. Why are you not at liberty? You don't work there. I understand, but but those are. That's something that, that took place that was between Vince and Warrior. And, and you're privy to it and don't want to betray confidence to Vince? Yes. Okay. Well, let's just call it like it is then. Uh, so then Warrior goes semi-retired for a little bit. Uh, he does some, you know, crazy stuff. 
I don't know if you saw, but he had like a Warrior University thing, and he had like a Warrior comic book, and you told me a story about the Warrior comic well, book. Well, that's I when think. that's when he came back. Yeah. Okay, so Warrior University and Dextrucity, and yeah. Tell me about the Warrior comic book because I think you told me something hilarious that I don't know that we can share here on the podcast, but if we can, it owned me. You know the the, the whole thing. Uh, I think Jim Cornette was with us at the time. We had we were flying out for WrestleMania twelve, and a detour on our trip was to Warrior University to meet with Warrior and talk about plans for what we wanted to do with him and moving forwards, what have you. And his I think it was Dextrucity and. I don't even know what that is. Nobody knows what the hell that is. It was some convoluted, D is for desire, E is for extreme thinking, S or X, however you want to say. I mean, it was it was crazy. Um, but Vince, you know, was all in to bring a warrior back and, and let's do something with him. And, let, let's and this all, is 96? Whatever WrestleMania 12 was. That's WrestleMania, yeah. yeah, it's 96, and, March 96. Um, so we all go out there and we, we meet and we eat at the Longhorn Steakhouse or whatever the hell it was. And everybody's happy and Cornette's going, God damn, what the hell is this destricity shit? I didn't understand a word he said. Um, but, you know, it was part of it. He had a comic book, the Ultimate Warrior comic book or Warrior comic book. And, you know, we get to to WrestleMania in the match with Triple H. Yeah. He was back. How many copies of the Warrior comic book did y'all buy? Too many. You don't have a number? Too many. And then after we bought too many and didn't sell very many at all. Um, How many boxes of those comics do you have now? I don't have any, but there were there were a few. Hundreds yeah. of cases. There were a lot. Thousands and of cases. I don't know. There were a lot. Hundreds of cases at least with several hundred in them. Uh, but it, it just didn't didn't work. And, and Warrior became very, very difficult to deal with and, and started making a lot of demands. And very unreasonable demands. Well, before you get into that, I want to talk about WrestleMania 12. Mm-hmm. Kind of ironic, you know, given the way WWE is now and the way everything's kind of shaken out. That he squashes Triple H very quickly. And Triple H at the time was coming up and, you know, you guys were trying to push a little bit and he had had some pay-per-view matches, had some wins under his belt. And later in that year would win the Intercontinental title. And I mean, really started to pick up steam. The next year would win King of the Ring. There was talk that he was going to win King of the Ring in 96. The curtain call changed all that. So there were big plans for him. But no problem squashing him to the warrior. Whose idea no, was that? No, there's a big problem squashing. See, you say no problem squashing. Well, you just you just glanced over it, so I just assumed it was no problem. No, it wasn't no problem. The, the <laughs> match was the match was designed completely differently, and Warrior changed it. Okay, who who was the agent on the match? Doesn't matter who the agent on the match was. The match was designed differently. They were laid out to them. Warrior changed it, and changed it right before they went out. Hunter, being a pro and knowing, well, I, we're WrestleMania, i got to go out, i got to go you know, do this, not really wanting to make waves on the biggest show of the year, knowing what we had planned for Warrior, did it, and came back, and Warrior was like, well, I changed it. 
But no, it was never laid out that way. It was never, ever intended to be a squash in any way, shape, or form. Well, what was it supposed to be? It's supposed to be a match. How many minutes? Warrior over. Like, I think they had like 12 minutes. But still the same press slam splash finish? Well, the finish, yeah. But just not shoulder tackle, shoulder tackle, right. clothesline. That right. Yeah. Yeah. So a minute ago, I asked who the agent was, and you said it doesn't matter. Why would you say that? Because hey. it doesn't matter. I mean, the agent was as blind as everybody else. So Okay. So n- no, neither guy smartened anybody up. They didn't have time to. And, 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 I be- it, and I do believe Hunter did smarten the agent up, but it was right before, and it was like, What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. We're there. Yeah. And I didn't have communication with the referee like, you know, we did now. And, and it was just something that happened and it took place. Any heat, and it was unfortunate. Any heat on Triple H at the time or did everybody understand he was in a bad spot? Triple H is in a horrible spot. And he did what he, you know, he did what he did. And I would argue that it was the right move because, you know, you, it's WrestleMania. It was what it was. And it sucked. But. Triple H did what he had to do. And there was, you know, there was long, many discussions and stuff with Warrior after that, that night and afterwards. You know, we don't do that here. You know, things have changed. Right. And, you know, you can't go into business for yourself. So then, you know, you fast forward and, and the comic book situation comes up and, and other things. And Warrior made a lot of demands that were unreasonable and um didn't show up for live events wouldn't return phone calls didn't answer phone calls just fell off the grid completely and uh, then claimed that he was upset because his father had passed but uh, up until that point always talked about how he never had a relationship with his father and didn't particularly care for him so it was it was a lot of contradictory messages coming from the warrior and it was just demands that were not going to be met that were unreasonable and it's kind of crazy when, ways. when you look at his opponents in 1996 at wrestlemania it's triple h right after that it's gold dust not too long after that it's isaac yankum who went on to be kane uh then it's jerry lawler then it's owen hart i mean real legends in the business you guys were giving him real talent to work with uh, can't make it work. Uh, he leaves. Um, and then he shows up for WCW and I know you weren't there for that, but I'm curious what you, what the inner circle thought when warrior shows up on WCW TV, do you guys know he signed and this deal has happened before you see it on nitro or is his return on nitro a surprise to you guys as well? I don't really remember it. It's funny. You and I were talking about this the other day. I don't remember it. And so I doubt we did know in advance, but it was kind of one of those things like, congrats guys. Now you got them. Because you knew he was a pain in the ass to deal with. Yeah. But but you weren't concerned that there was going to be any sort of magic recaptured from 1990. I think that there would have been, you know, with, with Hulk and, and warrior, I think that there's definitely some magic that could have been recaptured and that people would be interested in. So, I can understand why they'd want to do it and try it. So before we let you go here, uh, and as we just covered kind of all things, ultimate warrior, uh, ultimate warrior was one of my favorites as a kid. I remember as a kid, I had an ultimate warrior birthday cake. I mean, I was, 
a big time WWF kid and warrior was the man, you know, to an eight, nine, 10 year old kid. Right. Um, but I really struggle with the idea that this DVD was anything other than an intentional hit job. Okay. And, and I just, and I know that you're going to take some heat now for your comments today. People are going to blow you up on Twitter, um, for not being more kind to the ultimate warrior. You know, uh, I was honest in my feelings and how I felt about the ultimate warrior, how the ultimate warrior treated me personally, how I dealt with him, how he was, you know, how, how those, did he those treat people, you personally, you didn't address that really on this show. Well, he just, he was rude. He was, uh, he, we just didn't click. We didn't click. Um, sometimes you just don't click with people and he didn't make an effort to try to, click and he with didn't you. make an effort. And I dare say, I really didn't make an effort either. Um, but that happens in life, and that happens in business. And I dare say, you know, again, you as a fan, he was your everything. You had your birthday cake. And if yeah. Boyer had walked in and you had met him or you had gone up to him in a, in a restaurant at some point during that time and asked him for an autograph, you might have had your whole world shattered by the way that he would have treated you, most likely. And But at the same time, you know, my point is, is that those who didn't have to deal with him in the position that I had to deal with him don't know how he was, and he was difficult to work with. Now, saying all that, you know what? He's a man. He was a father. He was a husband. And I I had some somebody when Warrior passed. It's shocking when someone passes it. To me, that's a young age. Oh, and he sure. was healthy, and he was, regardless of whether we saw eye-to-eye, liked each other or not, he was a brother in the business, so on and so forth. And I felt for his family. I felt for his two daughters. And I, you know, just put up, R.I.P. Warrior. And somebody's like, oh, yeah, you got a lot of balls to say that after all the things you've said about him. Well, you know what? The things I've said about him is how I felt and how he dealt with over the years. The fact that a man passed at a very young age, leaving a young family fatherless, husbandless, that's sad. And as a human being, I feel sad for that. And I hope he, you know, is resting in peace. And I hope that his family can pick up, you know, and I'm sure they have and moved on. But no matter who you are, if you can't have some emotion like that, regardless of how your interaction is, well, during the years over business, then, you know, you're not human. But, um, yeah, I was sad when he died. I was like, damn. Because it it's kind of nice after all that crap that they reconciled. Sure. And came back together. It was awesome. There were many times over the years that – we tried to do that. So it, I was happy. I was happy when Bruno came back and they reconciled. So, you know, you can go back and rehash all that stuff. And that's what we've done today, a little bit rehash. But sure. at the end of the day, you, you, you kind of smile at the happy ending. So I was happy that they were able to, at the end of the day, that Vince and Warrior could reconcile, shake hands, come together. He gets his spot. Because a Hall of Fame without putting Warrior in, it's not really a Hall of Fame. That's what I wanted to get to. Can you um, state the importance of the Ultimate Warrior for those four years, 88, 89, 90, 91? Huge part. I mean, he was number two guy. That's at, saying a lot. At a time when the business 
was really at a peak. Yes, without a doubt. So to be number two when it's at really an all-time high, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you, uh, you know, allowing me to pick your brain today, and uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up uh, this section of the show right here on something to wrestle with. We call it "What Happened When." And if you've got a suggestion for us, it's easy for you to get involved. Just hit us on Twitter at Pritchard Show, or just use the hashtag Love to Know, and we may look at your topic next week here on MLW Radio. But in the meantime, go ahead and tell all your friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review, and we'll see you here next week on Something to Wrestle With. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.